0: League of Ireland podcast in the business. This is Off The Ball. Hey, it's Jamie Moore here. You're very welcome to the Off The Ball League of Ireland podcast with you on OffTheBall.com every Wednesday. and Also, you can watch the interviews on YouTube.com forward slash Off Ball. Coming up over the next hour or so, we're going to be joined in studio in just a second by Paulo Zam, who's the Ireland Under-16 manager and also a League of Ireland legend with St. Pat's and a short spell as well with Shamrock Rovers. We'll hear from the new Cork City head coach, Neil Fenn, on why he's left Longford Town to join Cork and why John Cotter, who was the assistant manager with John Caulfield for the last number of years and most recently interim first-team manager, announced yesterday on Twitter that he'd actually left the club and Martin Russell will join us in studio along with his son Sean and we'll hear from the Limerick Supporters Trust with some breaking news on the outstanding bill for Sean Russell's operation. We'll react to Harry Kenny's departure from St Pat's as well and bring you the quarterfinal draw for the FAI Cup. That's all on the way on the League of Ireland podcast, so let's get the show on the road and welcome Ozo to the studio. Paul, how are you? I'm good, Jamie, thanks very much. Thanks for coming in. No problem at all. So let's talk about your current job first, Ireland under 16 head coach slash manager and... You've gone from being a player to working for the FAI and and being a manager now, and you're working in coach education too. How would you describe your your
1: job with the Sixteens? It's a challenging job. Um, It's not. It's unlike club football. I don't have access to the players, you know, every day. That comes with challenges. It's a very enjoyable job, a very exciting job, and it's a very rewarding job as well. I would say, and I'm very honoured to be in the position to be able to manage a national team.
0: Yeah, you mentioned there that you don't have the players all the time because clearly they're with their clubs and they've got school and some of them are based in the UK as well. So how often do you actually get access to them to to work with them?
1: Depends on the the amount of events we have throughout the year. The calendar is normally set at probably four events, which would be a Victory Shield, um, a UEFA Development Tournament, and two other events, which we just came back from one recently, which was a a three-team tournament in the UK, and one other other event, which may well be a doubleheader. We have some access at the early part of our season, which is uh, June to June is the international season, so we we generally would have uh, training camps, um, friendly games against National League teams, U17 League teams, um, to prepare the players for the season. So, All in all, we we could have up to 30 contact days in the year, depending on, on, on the year and depending on what events we have.
0: Yeah, you're just back from the UK as well, and you played against Denmark and England in the second game. England, you drew three all and beat them like ten nine on penalties or something outrageous. I'm sure you were a very calm influence on
1: the sideline when it was going to so far into sudden death. Yeah, it was eleven ten. I thought we were going to be there. I thought we were going to miss a, miss a flight. <laughs> it went on for that long, but uh, it was great for the boys. Great for the for the kids. You know, it was part of their development to experience. The joy, I suppose, of, of winning a game against the, the, your arch rivals, really, in, in England um, on a, in a penalty shootout. But there's more to it than that. It's about their overall development and their learning through this age group when they go on to 17s, 19s, 21s, and hopefully onto the senior team at some stage.
0: Yeah, and we've seen in, in recent years the Ireland under 17s and 19s doing very, very well in European Championships. Most recently, the 17s hosted it here in Ireland, and the 19s made it all the way to the semi finals in, in Armenia and you know had a fantastic. Few weeks there, and lots of those players would have come through. Jason Dunning who's 15s, and you're under 16s too. And those two years are the first years where they have international football, which really gets them ready for 17s, which is the first competitive year as such.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's it's true. It even goes back forward in that to to the emerging talent program, and we have have national assessment squads now at U14. So there's there's a lot of work being put in, and you know the fruits are are being seen now. I mean, you mentioned the under 17s. The, uh, they've got to the, the qualifying of the European Championships, the 0-1 group and the 0-0 group and, and they went through unbeaten, um, qualifying two years in a row, last year we hosted it, uh, you know, done really, really well and you mentioned Tom's team getting to the semi-final of the uh, U19 European Championships, went through the whole qualifying uh, stages and the elite phase, winning every game, so you've got the 21s then, the Toulon tournament doing really well and, and you know, falling at the, the semi-final against Brazil. So. There's, there's lots of work being done and yeah it starts starts it starts with the club starts with the gar- the grassroots clubs, the elite players come into us then uh, you know through the FAI pathway and then they go through as you said Jason, myself, Collie uh, Andy Reid now it was Jim Crawford with the, with the 18s into Tom and then onto Stephen and, and and hopefully into the into the senior team so it's, it's all good it's been a lot a lot of positives a lot of really good results against top nations at underage level over the last number of years so it's it's all good
0: yeah we've just seen an image on screen David just uh, Pop the one up again of uh, Paul to your left there and Troy Parrott, one of the, the young players who there's a lot of hype around him at the moment and he's a very, very good young player who would have played for you. What are the challenges as an, as an international coach in working with these players who've moved to the UK and, and Troy's just an example that there's plenty more who are playing well, they're around their first team, they're very famous on Instagram and Twitter and stuff but at the same time they need to focus on, on being young footballers? Mm.
1: It is a challenge. I, I I probably didn't really experience that at the age group I'm at because they're not gone to the UK at that stage. A lot of them are still, you know, connected with UK clubs and they know they're gonna go. I think if they've got a good grounding, you know, from their from the home, first of all, um, hopefully if they're in that, that position, from the clubs, certainly when they come in with the international groups they, they'll there'll be a culture set within that of high performance and there are challenges because you know, the young boys they, they haven't really done anything yet and troy has been really he's an exceptionally good player and he's he's close to sports first team, he's probably the exception. But well, there's a lot of other boys who don't get that opportunity that young and they're, they're stuck in that kind of rut in first team sorry, in U eighteen, U twenty three in the UK and it can be very frustrating for them and then challenging when they when they come into the the international team, they may not have been playing competitively for for a long time. It'd be more with the nineteens and twenty one. So there are massive challenges. I don't really experience them then, uh, haven't really experienced them at the at the age group diamond at, at the at the moment.
0: And you mentioned as well about uh, the seventeens being the first kind of time where they play competitive football, but with you they play in the Victory Shield, which is a tournament between the home nations as such, with Ireland, Northern Ireland, Scotland, the UK. Um, we've just seen you there with the the Victory Shield trophy. You won it two years in a row, a couple of years ago too and that's something it's a it's a friendly tournament but it's very competitive because you're playing against the countries around you, and you know those games are a really good test for the boys. And you've managed to come out on top in two of the last
1: three years. Yeah, we were fortunate to, to do that. But I mean, just going back to your, your first point, every game is competitive. You know, there's not a competitive probably title on, on the U16 events. Um, although the victory shield is probably the exception. Well, every game, every player wants to win every game. I want to win every game as a coach. But sometimes the objective for me is not to win the game. it's probably to develop the players. So it's, it's great when, when you can marry both, which we, we were fortunate enough to do for two years in the Victory Shield, where the focus wasn't on winning the Victory Shield. Don't get me wrong, we wanted to do that, but the focus was on, on developing the players and preparing them for that um, c- competitive age of, of U17. And I think it's been a fantastic um, addition to our, um, our, our path for the, for the players that we play in the, in the Victory Shield because prior to that, the players wouldn't have experienced that competitive nature of, of competition football.
0: Yeah, no, I was lucky enough to be at a presentation he gave a couple of years ago on the Victory Shield, and it was like a behind-the-scenes look as to how the week works for the players. And just for people watching and listening, you might just explain how an international week works from when they arrive to when they leave, because it really is all bases covered for them from
1: everything, really. I mean, it's you know people probably wouldn't understand it, realise it, and I didn't until I started working in the environment. But there's a massive amount of work goes in firstly to putting together an itinerary. Like it's not just done haphazardly. Everything is taken into consideration: the rest time, the travel time. The, the time it takes the bus to get to, to training, you know, um, the food, what we eat, when we eat, why, why all this is, and it's 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 all it's all scrutinised by high performance people within the international department. Then, <clears throat> and that's the starting point. So then we have an, an intensive um, itinerary for the week, and the, of course the focus of that is the training sessions and, and the matches. There's rest time in, in there, and the players we, we look at the players' loading. We contact their close before they come in to see what loading they've had. Every session is tailored so that it hits certain targets. Um, lots and lots of meetings, lots of lots of, of um, analysis with the players, staff meetings, team meetings. There's there's a massive amount of work that goes on, and, and the reality is, like my day as an international team manager when we go away is you're up at eight o'clock in the morning, and like you're lucky if you're going to bed by eleven o'clock that night. They're long, intense days with with very little rest periods in there because there's so much to be done in, in such a short period of time. But but I mean, I wouldn't swap, and it's, it's fantastic.
0: Yeah, one thing I found very interesting was when you worked with the players in in smaller groups and you gave them flip chart pages and and you asked them to work on different tasks or questions, whether that be on tactics or on rules for the group or on their ambitions and stuff. And then they come back and they speak to the whole group and they put their charts on their flip chart pages on the wall. And it's kind of their work that you're helping to facilitate, which uh, at a young age I'm sure is is something that they're kind of probably really doing for, for the first time properly.
1: Yeah I just feel for, for I don't know, you I know, haven't worked with all the players really but it's something I think that would work with any age group but it's just empowering players, it's giving them responsibility for for on the pitch and off the pitch behaviours let's say, they're setting the boundaries so there's no ambiguity, there can't be any any discussions about what they can and can't do and they've decided them things and also when we're analysing games we let them watch the videos of the opposition or our own performance and see what they see and and inadvertently they see exactly what we see as experienced coaches and and believe me, sometimes they see more and that's just the reality of it. But I think it's a great learning tool for players to be able to look at video and see what they can extract from that and what they can build on then and how they can improve by looking at the video of themselves.
0: Yeah, now I know at the moment the environment around the FAI is is a little bit hostile in terms of stuff that's going on, you know, above the level of the football people, but from a football point of view we've spoken briefly about the achievements of the teams and you're also working in coach education and I've been through the courses there and they're top class and there's so much, you've also worked as a development officer, there's so much really good football stuff going on that maybe a little bit has been forgotten in recent weeks and months, but that's one of the reasons I wanted to speak to you, just to highlight the good players, the good coaches, the good people involved
1: in the football side of things. that's what i am you know i'm a football person you know i'm employed to do a job as you said in coach education and trying to develop um young underage international footballers so what goes on outside of that you know i've no effect on and it's it's not really for me to say you know comment on that but certainly perspective of coach education i think it's massive i think there's been huge strides in coach education over the last number of years the quality of coaches coming coming through the system is fantastic and that's great for us because when the players come in to me, and I've noticed over the last couple of years, particularly with the, the U15, now the U13 National League, that the players are getting really good coaching at club level and it makes our jobs an awful lot easier when players are coming in with good education on the game and good knowledge of the game and a good understanding of the, the different systems of play. So I think it's all in a very, very good place. And maybe some of it has been you know, missed because of other, other activities, but the reality is the facts are the facts and, and and the teams are doing really, really well.
0: Yeah, and when you were the first taking the job as head coach of the 16s, the youngest League of Ireland Academy age would have been 17. So they were coming from their schoolboy clubs around the country and maybe a couple of UK lads who had grandparents or whatever it might be. But now the League of Ireland starts at 13 and then there's under 15, which is possibly for you three or four years of them in a League of Ireland yeah. club. And we had a few representatives from the schoolboy clubs in recently just talking about the impact that that had on their clubs. But the impact it's having on the international teams, I'm sure has to be a positive that the best young players are, are in League of Ireland clubs. They're getting used to buses and food and travel. But also, when they come into you, they've had a couple of years in, in an environment that is probably a little bit more, more uh, I suppose, testing for them, really.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very valuable point, and I've certainly seen the fruits of over the last number of years. I mean, it's, 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 it doesn't, you, know, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to work out that if you're training and playing with, the, with better players, it's going to challenge you more. It's going to make you have to make better decisions, quicker decisions, be more, be more precise with your actions as well. So the players have, have improved massively. I've seen it, you know, me on, me own two eyes in twice, in a lot of cases, um, and it's it's great now looking at the, um, you know, when I'm picking a squad, there's players from Finn Harps, there's players from Wexford Youths, players from Shamrock Grovers, St. Pat's Bohemians, and it's a spread, and it's great to see that our national league is now providing those players. And I think that's been a massive um, influence on the performances of our underage players because the coaches at the clubs, you know, are, are great, and we've, got, we've got great communication with coaches at clubs, and we've just come back from the UK and. I'll give feedback to the coaches from every club and it's refreshing that when I'm giving them feedback, they're saying they're the exact things we see and they're the things we're working on with the players. So it's it's all in a good place. It's great harmony between the international managers and the club managers.
0: You're on the Off The Ball League of Ireland podcast. It's Jamie Moore here in studio with Ireland under 16 manager Paul Ozan, who's also, it's fair to say, a League of Ireland legend played for St Pat's from 1988 until 2004 with a short spell with Shamrock Rovers in the middle. And Paul, St Pat's are celebrating the 90th birthday this weekend. I know you're going to be there and... You had some amazing times at that club. How would you kind of look back now? You know, you retired decent while at this age and you're, you're into coaching as your time, in, on your time, should I say, as a League of Ireland player?
1: It's a bit of a blur, Jamie. It seems like a previous life, you know, I say it, was, it wasn't that long ago, but it seems like a long, long time ago. Well, I enjoyed, really enjoyed it. I mean, I have fantastic memories of, of St Pat's that will stay with me forever. Winning league titles, you know, the fans down in Inchicore, the whole community kind of environment around around the club at the time. You know, we've, we've had some some ups and downs throughout the years. I can remember the club nearly going out of existence when we were playing Harles Cross and we struggling at wages, and we'd no home, and then we moved back to Inchicore and great years there, and just so many really good happy memories of of my playing days at at the club.
0: Yeah, and there was a time when the League of Ireland was a little different in terms of you know, stuff away from the football, but the football then, the types of players in the league, there were some fantastic managers, you know, working in the league at the time, and I'm sure it was a great league to play in and a very competitive one because you were involved in lots of lots of league title races and cup runs and, you know, it was a good time
1: to be a footballer in, in this country. Yeah, it was the, It was probably a little bit different. It was probably, I may say, less tactical. in When I played, you know, there wasn't as much emphasis on, most teams played a four four two, and there wasn't huge variances. And then you've got all these different three five twos. Although we did play three five two at Liam at one stage at Liam Buckley, but generally it was just a matchup, and it was a lot more physical. I would I would feel well. That's what it was at the time, and you know to be challenging for titles at that time, everything is relative. And you know we, we had really really successful years and really good managers. I mean, I played under a lot of good managers at St Pat's and. Had to play against a lot of really good players of, of, of that time, and it was it was a really really it's a part of my life for a long long period, and it's something that I always cherish.
0: Five league titles, Paul, or six? This is a, a question that different people have different answers to because officially it's five, but and there's a great photo of you there in the old uh, Saint Pat's Auto Glass kit <coughs> for people who are watching the podcast. But you finished top for another season, but didn't win the league. Is is that the story?
1: Well, I don't know. You tell me, and then you have them. Um, no, to be, to be honest with you, yeah, one of the years um, there was an administrative error with regard to some players' registration, um, and we won the league with the amount of points we accumulated, but we were deducted then, I think it was 10 points um, for the, the administrative error, so I think it was, was Shelburne, were awarded the league that year. So, look, it doesn't matter to me, you know, really, honestly, it doesn't matter. I couldn't even tell you where my league medals are, so it's not a case of material things or somebody said or what somebody done or you forgot to sign this form or this form wasn't sent in if you ask me i would say i played in the best team for six seasons and um, with st pat so have i got six league medals no but did I play in the best team for six seasons absolutely yes
0: yeah interesting uh, outlook and a very good uh, answer on that one and um, the people you meet and the people you met across that time and you'll you'll be with them all again this saturday at the anniversary and the links you you forge with them whether they be managers whether they be Teammates, whether they be, you know, staff, and we saw this week with the Michael Locker Davis testimony which I know you were you were at, that you know, you forged these relationships with people that go on years later and, and now you're managing the guy's sixteen, and you might meet someone on a coaching course, you might meet someone out watching a game and you played with them twenty years ago and once you're talking to them for one minute it's as if you're back twenty years ago and you're best mates with them again.
1: Can be. I think in football it's it's quite fickle. I think a lot of, a lot of friendships early friendships in football? Are are they just acquaintances? I don't really have a huge amount of what I class as friends from a playing from a playing days of lots of people who I know and lots of people who've spent lots of time with but forging real friendships through football, I don't know how, how you know, how accurate that really is. I could probably count on one hand the amount of people who would say, He's a friend of mine from when I played and maybe that's just me, maybe I was insular or something, I don't know, but um, lots of people that you know and lots of memories and yeah you absolutely meet people and they're in memory from playing or you played with them or they were supporters. So there's lots of Attachments, but friendships. I don't really know.
0: Yeah, we had Keith Tracy in the seat you're sitting in last week, and Keith's a former Saint pats player as well. But like, played for Ireland, made his debut against Lionel Messi and Di Viva, and played in the Premier League at 21. And he spoke about you know his life away from football, and he openly admitted he was an alcoholic, and he's clean now a couple of years, and, and wants to go back playing football. And that culture of of drinking in, in England was also quite prevalent here. And I know you've spoken about that before about you know. The stuff away from football, but it didn't seem to affect the football. And you were still such good teams and such good players, even though you maybe enjoyed the, the bus on the way on from Cork or whatever, a few drinks most weekends. But once you're there, training and playing, you were well on it.
1: Yeah. but the thing is, like, you wouldn't get away with that nowadays because other people aren't doing it. Probably when when I was playing, they were all doing it, so everything was relative. If you had a, a skin full of points on a Friday night, there was every chance that you know somebody on the opposition team may be doing the same thing. So. It wasn't, you know, it was a level kind of playing field. So certainly nowadays, you, you wouldn't get away. With it. And yeah, it w- I mean, we did not enjoy ourselves. Let's say, and it can, you know, I can you remember. I think we went a full season away from home unbeaten. And and the reason for that was we we made a kind of a pact at the start that if we if we didn't lose a game away, sorry, if we lost a game away from home, we wouldn't have a few drinks on the way home. We wouldn't stop. or wouldn't have a few drinks in the bus. So that was our kind of. Goal! Don't 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 lose a game or you know don't draw a game. Sorry, don't lose a game because we won't have our little reward. So, silly now looking back on it, but that's the way it was in them days and it probably helped us win the league.
0: Yeah, and they say there's no better place than a winning changing room or a winning bus if you're going on, you know, home from a, a big win, you know, somewhere that isn't in Dublin. And then you have the few drinks and the music is on, and I'm sure those moments when you think back about the crack you had and the laughs you had with those people, given it's a great result, you've had your reward and. You're on that three, four hour bus home, the roads then weren't as good as they are now and you're, you're
1: having a proper, proper kind of, you know, lads party on the bus because yeah. you want won a big game. I wasn't that bad now, Jamie, it wasn't. I wouldn't go into a party mode with it. No, we, we we enjoyed ourselves, yeah, and it's like, it's it's a lonely place, you know, a, a losing dressing room any time, and, and especially then when you're adding in, as you say, in them days, it could be a four hour bus journey back from from the likes of Derry or Finn Harps or even Cork was a, was an awful long journey in them days, so... Yeah, it was a much better feeling if you're winning, and really, like, you know, I'll make it a, a parallel between that and drinking. But you, you didn't want to lose games because you didn't want to be sitting on a and bus for three to four hours on the way home from wherever it was. So, luckily enough for, for me in my career, I don't remember a huge amount of really somber journeys back home. There were few, there were some obviously, but there was more good ones than than bad ones.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. One thing, Paul, you do remember is your heart attack that you had a few years ago, and you're looking great. You're fully healthy again now and and that was a scary time you came on our, our sports show 90 at fm a few years ago to kind of tell us about that so I'm not going to go fully into th- that story because I, I want to talk about you know how you are now and, and the changes you've made to your life now but just for people that didn't hear that just remind people of of what happened to you and how close you came to not being sitting here beside me now
1: I when mean, it was six years ago now I think um, just, I was feeling fine and then just suddenly I, I got some kind of f- a feeling in my throat where I thought I was having some kind of an ingestion for a couple of days and <clears throat> it was weird, like and uh didn't I had no idea what it was, and then one morning i just i woke up and I felt really unwell and um I passed out and um I, w- I woke up again, then and an ambulance came, and um I was rushed to hospital, and i had had a heart attack um and luckily the artery had reopened slightly, and there was some blood getting into the heart that kept me alive but i was I was, t- I was, statistically, I was one of 20% of people who survived the particular kind of heart attack I had, so at the time I was, I, you know, I felt it was extremely, extremely lucky but then you can flip that and say you're extremely unlucky for it to happen to you in the first place, so I was, it was a rough time, um, I had one stent put in and it was a really rough rough time for me um, personally for, I'd say up to two years where, you know, you're reflected on things and you're not really living in, 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 in the moment because you're your mind is somewhere else. So, thankfully, you know, the support of me, particularly my wife, Regina, um, and, and my family, time moves on, and I think, t- you know, time's a great healer for everything. So, you kind of you just get better, I suppose, you know, psychologically, because it's, it's very, very tough. Um, I, I won't deny that. But well, thankfully, I've overcome it, and I just live each day now. I, you know, I have no concerns about my health, although, you know, I have a stent, and there's a possibility of of, of something happening again. but. I just try and eliminate all um, risk factors as such. Um, I mean, it was genetic, it was just a genetic predisposition, I was born with, so it wasn't really from a lifestyle I'm eating or, you know, drinking. I did smoke. You know, I'd, I'd advise anybody who smokes not to smoke because it's, it's, it's not healthy. I haven't smoked since um, the day I had the heart attack. Um, I try and eat as healthy as I can, I try and exercise as much as I can, drink plenty of water, all the things that, you know, you should be doing, I suppose, to, to live to live healthily and, and, and have a, a, um, an illness-free free life, which I think is what everybody wants.
0: Yeah, and you're also still in contact with the League of Ireland in terms of your son Evan, who plays for UCD. He's injured at the moment, and he, we spoke to him actually in your front room a few months ago. He ruptured his Achilles tendon yeah. in the first last session before the first game of the season. and You follow him around the country to watch UCD and, and on a Friday night with your wife, Jean, and you're, you're his two biggest fans. And There's a great photo of him as a kid when you were a Pats player lifting a trophy, and now it's come full circle and you're yeah. supporting him. and watching him playing in the league, no matter where it is in the country, and, and cheering him on. But you're not one who really says too much on the, on the, on the stands, you just let him play and, and off he goes.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's great to see your, your, your son playing, you know, at any level of football. If they're fortunate enough or talented enough to play at a high level, it's, it's probably more rewarding. But I haven't been able to do an awful lot of that lately over the last year or so, because, as you say, he his Achilles tendon and had quite a bad injury a couple of years ago as well. But... Very proud of him. He's, he's he's a good kid, and you know he's no trouble. He's he's been a great kid all his life. So just I do feel sorry for him at times, and probably the wrong face, Feel sorry. I just feel frustrated for him that you know he hasn't been able to play as much football over the last number of years as as he would have liked. And I just hope that you know he's he's, he's almost back to full full recovery now, full fitness, having ruptured his Achilles. So I just hope he gets a run at it. Where you know, I don't I don't really care where he ends up playing or what, what he ends up achieving in the game. Um, I'm sure he's ambitious still himself, but. I just hope he gets a run where he can play football for a long number of years without, without any injuries.
0: Yeah, and I know he knows how good his dad was as a player too. And you're clearly very uh, much educated in the football management side of things now. So have you been helping him with his with rehab? Whether that be you know out for runs or with the ball or, or just you know if he has any questions on on you know parts. I know he's had a knee injury before, but on parts of the process, you know, you're probably
1: very well placed to to help him. I wouldn't really. I mean, he's he's smart enough to, to follow protocol, you know. He and he's studying physio, so, of course. And he's studying physio, so he'd have he'd have a fair idea of the do's and don'ts. But, I mean, he's, he's, he's professional in, in his approach to everything, so he'll do what he's told with regard to the physios and, and the, the specialists and the surgeons and that kind of thing. So I wouldn't interfere in that. Like, I might just check in with him every now and then and see if everything's going OK, you're feeling OK and that. And More psychologically, because it has to be tough for, for any player to have two serious... Um, Really serious injuries in such a short period of time, so you've got to look at that side of it as well.
0: Yeah, we're going to speak to Sean Russell just after you in a second about his uh, battle with injuries too, as well. Paul, asks you, the future. If you were to take a crystal ball out and say, you know, in terms of ambitions to manage is it, to manage in the League of Ireland, to stay in, in the underage underage teams, to to move up the ladder there, and stuff. There's always League of Ireland jobs on the go, and you've you've been around the league such a long time. Um, I'm sure you'd do a great job if you were a league of order manager. Is that something that might be on your agenda in the future?
1: No, not presently. I, I really, really enjoy the international uh, football. It's, it's so challenging. It's, it's, it's unforgiving. If you're not prepared to the, to, to the, to the, to the hilt, it's, you'll get punished. Um, would I like to manage at club level? I currently, no. I'd like to manage maybe you know at, at, a, at another age group in, in, on, in international football, whether it be U17, U19, U21, because I really enjoy that environment. I think club football is a, is a different challenge, and it's you know it's, it's it's more demanding in ways, but it's probably more forgiving in other ways. But for the, for the for the time being, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. But I wouldn't rule out in the future. And um, you know, I feel I'm not going any further in this international football, I've you know I'm going to stay at like this. I want a new challenge. Yeah, by all means, I would never close the doors to, to doing something like that.
0: And apart from that, you're uh, on the road to becoming a pro golfer. Myself and Paul played a game of golf recently, and. Uh, He's very good. Waxed the ball quite long. He's about six foot six, and uh, it was. Uh, I'm only starting golf, and you weren't very nice to me on the golf course. You, you, you took me money and off you went. <laughs> well,
1: look, Jamie, I think um, you know the only. Can i say this, yeah? The only yeah. the only n- number you know is eight.
0: <laughs> Every
1: hole. What did you have there, Jamie? I had eight. Now that eight, you know, was probably twelve if we're being honest. But <laughs> look, it's enjoyable, and I think that's you know you need to get out and enjoy yourself as well. So.
0: That's not true. I wasn't getting eight. I was getting sixes, sevens, eights, nines. <laughs> well, thanks a million for coming in. Uh, well, best okay. luck for the rest of the international season. And we'll see you soon. Cheers. Okay. Cheers, Jamie. Thank you.
1: Off the balls. League of Ireland podcast.